Welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us today for our regular Thursday call. Uh, Tom and I and Rhonda are so happy that you are with us. Rhonda, thanks for joining us as always. Thank you. And Tom. Hello. Oh, yes. Hey everyone. And so I'm Katie Ridenauer with Leaders Building Leaders and you know, this has been a whirlwind of a day as far as updating where our lives are with charter schools. And, you know, we just want to provide a platform. Uh, we don't necessarily know all the answers, but we, uh, we wanted to provide a platform for you to ask your questions. And, you know, we were thinking, you know, like put in the chat box, what are the things that are keeping you up at night? Or what are the alarm bells that are going off, you know, since this morning, you know, we'd love to be able to address those. Um, and, you know, we have the governor's call at three o'clock, you know, so who knows what that's going to be, but whatever it is, you're going to have to move forward with the information that you have. So that, that's kind of the framework we're going to be talking about. You know, Rhonda, what would you like to, you know, share with the group? I have a lot to share with the group. Is this the point where you want me to do that? Well, dive on in and I'll start collecting the questions and, and then as they come in, then we can put them out to, you know, so the experts that we have on the call. Okay. Well, we do know that the governor will have um, his press conference today at three o'clock and it, other than when he closed schools, this will probably be a really important call for every, everybody related to education because all the buzz is that uh, he'll be discussing his decision for the rest of the school year. So we'll see about that. I don't have, um, you know, insight into that other than the buzz that I've heard. But I would say that that is something that we all need to be thinking about. Then uh, today, the State Board of Education met in called session and they took action on four things. One, NESIS evaluations for teachers, um, athletic policy, <clears throat> grading, and that's grading for K through 11, and then their legislative funding request. So as far as teacher evaluations go, do you want me to go ahead and talk about that, Katie? Please, please do. A couple people have already asked about that. All right, sure. So uh, DPI made a recommendation to DPI based on, um, to the state board based on two things. One, the current NISA's evaluation instrument has not been validated for online um, observations, so it's not meant to be used that way. And two, currently teachers all over the state are engaged in training related to online instruction, and so there is a lot of variability in their access to those trainings. Some people might have had some training, others haven't, so it's really an, a very uneven playing field. Because of those factors, DPI recommended to the State Board, and the State Board did adopt the following. Um, the evaluation process in NESIS will be for those teachers who have had all of their required observations done before March 13th. Um, other required steps may be conducted in a virtual setting without jeopardizing the validity of the evaluation process because they had been done prior to March 13th. The evaluation process for teachers who have not received all their observations should be abandoned and no summative ratings entered into NESIS. 
the state board and DPI will use the most recent valid summative rating for any teacher who did not receive a summative evaluation in the 1920 school year. The most recent valid summative will be used for reporting, and that's reporting um, due to federal and state statutes, research, licensure renewal or conversions, and any other reporting obligations that DPI has. Uh, let's see. The State Board encourages schools to work with your, your boards uh, in developing local processes related to contract renewals. One thing that they did stress is that they didn't want there to be um, situations where schools and their boards couldn't um, support non-renewal of a contract without basically having a lot of documentation for that purpose. Uh, you just don't want to get any into any kind of employment law situation where you could be in trouble. So um, there was a lot of talk about that. Let me make sure I'm getting it here. Yeah, I, mean, I think you've covered the Nisus question for sure. Does anybody have any outstanding questions about Nisus? Can you kind of summarize? You know, so basically what that means is what, Rhonda? So basically, if a teacher has had all observations done prior to March 13th, then um, then they could, they would have their uh, a summative. But the ones who had not completed all their observations prior to March 13th, um, that evaluation process should be abandoned and no summative would be um, put into the NESIS system. Okay, got it. And I can, and anybody who has questions about that, I took uh, quite a bit of notes, uh, so I can probably help you if you just email me. Okay. So then um, the grading policy was also voted in action today. And uh, I'll, I mean, I can really just sum that up. Basically, there should be no final grades for K-5 and um, grades for students in sixth through eighth grade would be a PC-19 or a WC-19. <clears throat> um, and then there are actually two options available to students in grades 9 through 11 for spring courses. They can either choose with their, of course, they're going to consult with their parents and uh, their guidance counselors, their guardians to make this decision, but they could either choose a numeric grade <clears throat> um, or they could go with the PC-19 WC-19 option. Um, so that basically means just pass or withdraw, right? Isn't that what right. that basically means? Yeah, so um, there would be no fail. Okay. As far as promotion or retention goes, uh, they talked about that quite a bit too. Um, there are basically three issues in regards to promotion or retention. One, that is the decision of the principal and the staff. Uh, DPI recommends that schools consider retention of students if 
the retention of process was already well underway for a student prior to March 13th. So the question from one of the board members was, um, well, it really was more of a comment. Parents shouldn't be surprised that a student is going to be retained. That, that should have been made clear way before March 13th. That's essentially uh, what's going on there. And then three, if a student was being considered for retention prior to March 13th and is still considered for retention, DPI strongly encourages that the school develop a local plan to make sure there's effective communication and collaboration between the school and the family so that everybody can determine the best path forward for the student. So they're really letting that be a local decision. Exactly. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. Okay. And then the last thing I'll say is that um, the state board voted today to request $380 million um, of the legislature. So when the legislature returns on April 28th, DPI, or not DPI, I'm sorry, the state board will be making a request in the amount of $380 million. And that will essentially go to child nutrition, support staff, EC, resources for digital and remote teaching, and a what they're calling a jumpstart summer program. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> I know, it is a lot. Um, can you, I'm sorry, this is Mr. George from K Southeast. Can you clarify um, what, they, what their definition is of support staff? Yes, if you'll give me just a minute to go back. No problem. Uh, actually, it'll take me a minute to dig for that. So if y'all want to go ahead and then I'll let you know in the chat box when I'm uh, ready to tell you that, Katie, okay? Okay, okay. All so right, because I don't want to hold everybody up. Thanks. No, absolutely not. Um, you know, we had um, another question about licensure renewal, so we'll get back to that when you have a second but so we have our, uh, our partners from Acadia North Star on the call. So if we could talk a little bit about charter school funding, you know, if anybody from Acadia would like to offer, you know, their understanding of that, that would be great. Amanda, I know you're on the call. Do you have any, anything to add? I was, I was trying to unmute. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, as, as far as the funding, you know, right now we're just working with making sure that we use the PRC 154 funds that have come in, mm -hmm. making sure we allocate the expenses accurately. Um, no, nothing new COVID related has come in yet, but we, we are waiting to see um, what's coming down the pipeline going forward. So what about the funding that the governor's gonna have full control over? Do you have any 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 guidance you can offer on that or um, anything that charter school leaders can can expect from that the, the main points that we received on that is that um, it will be allocated based largely on the same type of calculation used for title one funding okay and as soon as uh, DPI knows 
when they're they're going to be allocated the funding, then they'll put the measures in place to start the application process and so forth. Okay. I would add about that, though, that um, the governor's emergency relief fund is in the amount of $96 million, and he has complete discretion over how that money is doled out. So the association is in contact with the governor's office to make sure that charter schools are considered. So um, I'll let you know more about that when I know. Okay. That sounds great. We do have a question from Ellie Schulmeyer. I'm wondering if Acadia or anyone can clarify if state funds can be used for food nutrition for the entire family, or if we are restricted to only providing uh, funds like food cards for the student. The, the, the clients that we have who are providing food cards right now are doing it out of their local funds. Um, we have not had anybody to pay it out of state funds. So they're just doing like food cards for, you know, a, a fixed amount, not particularly saying that this is for the child or this is for the family, but they're just, you know, if they're doing a $75 food card, then that's what they're providing. And most of them have been doing it out of their local money. Okay. So they're taking it out of their local funds instead of um, out of state funds for food nutrition. Correct. Okay. Uh, Ellie, any other nuance to that that you wanted addressed? Um, I think just clarifying, if we're looking at a, a certain number of families and providing the food cards for the entire family, that does get very expensive. And you're talking about a $75 food card. If we're looking at the next 10 weeks, um, if we're doing the entire family, some of the numbers we're looking at are much greater than that. And I'm just curious how other schools are handling that. Yeah, so if you have a, a plan that's working, can you um, unmute yourself and share with the group? Okay, well, if you think of anything, put it in the chat. I see that Rhonda has updated in the chat the definition of support staff. And that would include support for school social workers, school psychologists, school nurses, or school counselors. So thank you, Rhonda, for adding that. Katie? Uh, yes. I was going to say, like, in terms of the, um, you know, of the food part, you know, I, you know, I live in Wake County, and, and our, you know, district schools are uh, providing meals to anybody, full meals uh, for the family. Um, so, you know, I think from a charter school's uh, perspective, if it's not something that you typically did, uh, provide food, then, um, then that's, you know, something you have to look at a extension of your budget. And I think Acadia could, you know, uh, probably answer like a question like that. Does that extension of our budget fit under that, you know, COVID-19 um, uh, coding? Uh, or you could just say, hey, this is for your child, right? It's not for the entire family, because as a school, you're not normally feeding the entire family. You're only feeding, you know, the children from there. So when you're looking at, you know, budgets, uh, you know, standpoint, this is a great time to be looking at your um, local districts and seeing what they're doing. Um, you know, still, I know Wake County is still uh, providing full, full meals, lunch and breakfast um, for, you know, really anybody. They're not actually asking anybody whether they go to that school or not. So that's something that you could communicate and uh, see um, if they're doing that. Okay, uh, uh, Amanda, did Thanks you Thanks a lot. That's great. 
Amanda, did you say, oh, you're welcome, Ellie. Uh, any follow-up on that, Amanda? Uh, as far as it being a COVID expense, yes. So when, like we talked about before, when, when you look at your budget, any expense that's above and beyond what you normally would pay would be considered um, a COVID expense. So like Tom was saying, if you normally just provide food for the student and now you're doing food cards for the entire family, that expense will be above and beyond what, what you essentially budgeted for, what you anticipated paying. So mm -hmm. that, that would be um, a COVID expense. And what we've been doing, we've been, especially with the 154 funding that came down, we're looking at, you know, the chart of accounts and the accounts that DPI put down there, the account categories that eligible, that are eligible uh, for those funds. And that's kind of been our guide on how schools can spend that money. Um, okay. Okay, well, I hope that clarifies some things for you. I know there's a lot to keep up with, and I'm just trying to keep up with the questions. Um, <laughs> you know, so talking about funding, while we have Amanda with us, uh, so someone sent in a question to me that said, you know, can we discuss the three types of funds that we're hearing about? We have the governor's $90 million versus the CARES Act, that's $50 million, and then there's PPP monies that schools are applying for you know, is there any way we could talk about each of those pots and, you know, who would be eligible um, and who's not and what that, those monies are for? I know that's a lot to just, to just dump out there, but, you know, how do we understand these three categories and who, who can apply for them? The governor's fund, from the information that DPI put out there, they were saying that there was a very stringent criteria um, for getting those funds. And I'm glad Rhonda said that, you know, people are working to kind of get charter schools in, into the eyesight of the governor so that, you know, some of that funding will filter down to charter schools. Mm -hmm. um, the elementary and secondary schools fund, the that, that's the fund that the charter schools are probably most going to benefit from. And um, that's the fund that where the funding is based on the same type of calculation used for Title I funding. Okay. But that, that's the fund where I'm, I'm anticipating most of the aid is going to come from. Um, okay. Now, PPP, that's the Paycheck Protection Plan, and that's, that's a loan. So that's not funding. Um, you are eligible for loan forgiveness if the funds are used as intended, which 75% is supposed to be used for payroll related expenses. And okay. the other 25% can be used for utilities and rent. Um, so as long as you meet the criteria for loan forgiveness, the loan can be forgiven. If part of the loan or the entire loan is not forgiven, the interest rate is 1% of the loan and it's payable within two years or so, two years from the date of disbursement. So can you help me understand, you know, how, how charter schools are eligible for this? I understand the 25%, but if uh, charter schools haven't lost their funding, right, they, they still have the same amount of money they were going to have. Uh, so so what, would, what other expenses would they have employee-wise where they would need uh, additional funding, you know, that would qualify them for this PPP. 
Well, even though you're having the same expenses employee-wise, you're having additional expenses that you didn't anticipate for. Mm -hmm. So if you've used, let's say you've used most of your state money to, you know, buy supplies to send home with your students to um, initiate and, and continue remote the remote learning process, those are expenses that you didn't budget for, didn't anticipate having, and you may have used your, you know, state funds for that. So if you find yourself in a situation now where you don't have any more uh, state funding for payroll, then the PPP is, is a good option. Um, with the PPP being offered, our major concern was it going to the schools that truly have exhausted their state funding. Because mm -hmm. your state funds are going to revert on June 30th the unspent funds. So okay. really encourage charter schools who've already spent their state money. Um, if you're thinking about applying for the PPP and you still have state money to spend, that's something you need to consider. If we get the PPP loan, are we gonna be able to spend the PPP as well as our state funds? Because okay. it makes no sense you get in PPP money and then you're given back state money at, you know, come June 30th. Right. Okay. Now those are some key questions. Thanks so much, Amanda. And I uh, had, oh, go ahead, Mary. Uh, oh, Ellie, you had a comment. I was just going to say I had investigated the PPP for our school to get a better understanding because our bank was also recommending it. Mm -hmm. And once I got the application and dug into it, you need to attest to the fact that you um, did not lose revenue and and need this money to cover your payroll. That does mm. not apply to our school. I mean, other schools might be in a different situation. Okay. So we're not able to take advantage of that, but I am um, working with our financial partner in taking advantage of the tax credit that is available. So if okay. you're using the funds for payroll, you're able to take advantage of a unique tax credit. If you are paying folks who do not have their job, they're not able to perform their job and you are paying them anyway. So okay. we have before and after care staff that they're losing that regularly scheduled income that they would have gotten, but we are still maintaining their, their salary to keep them whole. So we are going to be applying for that tax credit and you okay. can't apply for both. That's the other thing. Oh, I see. So you can't apply for the PPP and the tax credit. Right, exactly. Perfect. Okay. Thank you, Ellie, for adding that. Um, and Mary Jo, you wanted to speak to applying for the PPP. Uh, yes, Katie, thank you. When we first got the idea of applying for a PPP and we, our, our financial situation, because we are such a small school is always very on the line. Uh, but the Ziegler group that gave out such wonderful details, one of their big pushes with this, even if you think you have enough money to see you through the year, you are facing uncertain times. And this does allow for an application to be processed on that basis. Hmm. Now that's a little bit different than what you're saying. As we speak, I have my finance director listening to a webinar that Ziegler is putting out again on more details of how to use your money appropriately. Now we have not been awarded anything, but we are sitting in a queue and uh, a federal level meeting has indicated that if you're in that queue, you do at least stand a chance with this round of money. Hmm. Uh, but I thought that was interesting that they encourage schools to apply 
based on the hardship down the road. And of course, if, if you're a school that operates on a tight budget in general. Right. Okay, well, great. Thank you for sharing that perspective, Mary Jo, because there are a lot of schools in that boat, so that's really helpful. Um, Lisa Gordon-Stella, would you, would you want to share your perspective with us? Yes, yeah, so um, I have a markedly different perspective, having, um, I spent a lot of time reading these rules and reading the um, best legal guidance that exists today, and um, you cannot have these monies for tomorrow. These monies are intended to be used in their entirety by June 30th. And what you are attesting to is that you need this money to stay financially viable and quote, the current economic uncertainty makes the loans necessary to support your ongoing operations. I know that many banks have made the recommendation to charter schools to take the money, take as much money as you get offered. They are not on the hook when you go and take the money and then the government comes after you. They have no obligation. They get paid regardless. And what I'm hearing um, out of other states and what is believed to be going to happen with this money is you're going to get a back-end review that you are eligible and entitled to this money. And for, together with the CARES Act, the, the um, CARES Act actually created a, um, what, they're call, what they call a, um, a CARES Act Pandemic Response Accountability Committee that will go through and audit all of these loans and anyone, anyone who has not complied with the letter of the law in taking this and the certifications can be charged with fraud and abuse. And the maximum amount of fine is potentially in excess of a million dollars and 10 years in prison. Um, and the, um, the Department of Justice has said this will be a national priority for them to go through and check through certifications. So. I would be very, very cautious when you take this money that there is going to be accountability both to get it forgiven and to potentially not face um, a inquiry by the federal government. I've heard schools and I have clients who've said this to me that, um, well, what's the worst that happens? They don't forgive the money. No, the worst that happens is that you're under federal indictment. And um, the Department of Education has a call today at two o'clock to talk about CARES Act funding. Um, there's also, I'm on attorney calls twice a week um, with national charter school attorneys. And I will tell you that it is the minority of schools that are taking this money. And if you're taking it, you better have a very good reason to justify how you could not make payroll through June 30th. Um, and I'm, I will tell you, I'm quite disappointed in the banking community because I feel like they are putting, they are not looking out for charter schools and explaining to them the consequences of taking this money um, that could be very detrimental. And then aside from all that, I will tell you that in other states, this is already starting to happen, which is folks are making requests from the Small Business Administration for lists of who's taking the money and how much money they've taken and anti-charter groups are already going are already going out there and publicizing entities that are taking it and why are they taking it. So for a small school that really needed to get through um, and make their payroll, 
A hundred percent. That is what this is for. Mm -hmm. But if you're using this for rainy day funds, that is not what this is for. And I would be very careful in certifying. Um, you are signing your name to a legal document under penalty of fraud and abuse um, by the federal government. And that is no laughing matter. So I just want to put it out there because I, I feel as though a lot of people think this is just a way to get extra money. Um, and it, it is serious business. And I would encourage anybody who is thinking about it to talk to, if it's Acadia, if it's Charter Success, whoever it is, and find out where, what your finances are like. And then I would also make a point of talking to your legal counsel because, um, you know, they can, I can be sued for malpractice if I don't give you the right advice. Your banker, you know, they just get paid no matter what at hmm. the end of the day. So um, well, I just wanted to get that out there. I apologize if that was a little long-winded, but um, I don't think I have seen too many people just think, oh, it's a 1% loan if, you know, but that may not be what it is. And I don't want people to get caught in that. Yeah, I know we really appreciate your legal advice, uh, Lisa. We know you're passionate about it, and we really appreciate the time and effort that you take to make sure to give us the best legal advice possible. Um, really appreciate that. Now, Amanda, you had another uh, perspective that you wanted to add about the PPP. We, um, we share Lisa's perspective. Um, and as I mentioned before, for the schools that still have a funding sources, whether it's state or federal funding, you know, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say the PPP is the best option because you still have funding that's coming in. Um, one thing I'd like to add uh, to what Mary Jo was saying that, you know, it's for down the road. Um, the loan documents that I've reviewed so far specifically state that it's for the eight week period beginning with the loan disbursement. So you must use those funds that you get within an eight week period of disbursement. So um, you can't save it for December. It, it's money that you're getting for current expenses, current payroll. Um, and you know, that's a, that's a two month period. So by the time mm -hmm. May or June comes, you're, you're gonna have to exhaust those funds. And like Lisa said, that's what you're attesting to. Okay, okay. that's. Um, that's really important. And uh, Amanda, I do have one more question. So I understand the PPP monies are ones that you have to apply for. Now, as far as the, uh, the COVID-19 expenses that schools are keeping track of, you know, how do they apply for those monies to be reimbursed or how does that work? The COVID expenses that are being tracked with the mm -hmm. uh, eight and the purpose code, as far as DPI said, right now that is solely for data collection purposes. Now, whether they're gonna use that for some type of reimbursement in the future, they have not even alluded to that fact. Um, they okay. said all, all tracking at this point using the eight in the purpose code, that's um, solely for data collection. The only thing where there's actual funding right now is the PRC 154 money. Okay, okay, perfect. Thank you, Amanda. I know we've worked you today. Uh, so I appreciate your, your expertise. Uh, Rhonda, we do have a question for you. Um, have you received any information about athletics? Yes, uh, and that certainly is not my area of expertise. So let me look back at my notes. Okay. Oh, uh, a lot of notes. Um, okay, there were two recommendations for athletic eligibility. 
Um, they're proposing a one-year change to the current guidelines. If a student is promoted in the school year 1920, they are eligible for athletic participation for the first semester of 2021. To continue athletic eligibility for second semester, they would need to sit, meet the guidelines that are current uh, in legislation statutes. And then for, um, let me see, all student athlete, athletes who have a valid pre-participation examination form for the 1920 season will be allowed a one-year extension through the end of the academic year 2021. Hmm. An athlete planning to participate in a sport during 2021 season without a current examination form will need to obtain one before they'll be allowed to participate. Okay, perfect. So it sounds like they're going to rely on fall grades to make sure that kids can stay eligible for the 2020-21 school year. Um, so can you talk a little bit about summer program funding? We had a question in there about that. And also is Jumpstart summer program, is that, the, is that similar to the summer reading camp? Is, are they one and the same or are they different? Uh, can you speak to that, Rhonda? Yeah, um, it, it sounds similar to me. Um, it's about helping those students who are the most disadvantaged to continue to make progress in core subjects, reading and math. Mm -hmm. And um, the total that they're requesting of the legislature to fund that program is $70 million. Okay. Okay, very good. Now, just going back one more time to Nisus, um, can you touch on licensure renewal? There was a question about, so I know we talked about evaluations, but what about licensure renewal? Any updates there? They did talk about licensure renewal. Um, and I think it brought up some questions that they hadn't considered. Okay. So, um, DPI is going to take a, a second look at that. Um, mm -hmm. I'm looking for my notes about that. Rhonda, wasn't it last week that they uh, didn't, um, Representative Clemens say that there's a note to, because it's a law, it's a legislation, so they have to change it there, but they were looking at like an extension. I think like an extension yeah. for a year to be able to get it, uh, but I don't, I have not seen anything formal come out. I did drop the memo in, the grading memo, if not everybody had it. Uh, from the state board meeting today. That's in the chat. Uh, let me look through my notes and get back to you on that because I know I have it in here. I'm just having a hard time finding it, okay? Yeah, no, that sounds good. All right, um, and, you know, someone did ask if you could put your NISIS update in your daily email. Isn't that great that people are reading your daily email? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, everybody. I'll, I'll be... Yeah, I, I, um, I take a lot of notes and then I'll try to condense it down so it'll make more sense and I will certainly be glad to do that. Okay, perfect. Okay, one last question. And uh, so returning back to school, uh, any, you know, I know we're all guessing about what Governor Cooper is going to say at three o'clock, but you know, what, were, were there any, any, any hints or anything that teachers should know right now to prep for the fall? I would um, 
expect that we're not going to go back to school this year. Now, I could be made a complete fool out of at three o'clock today, <laughs> but I, I hope that's not the case. Um, yeah, because, you know, I follow these trends across the country and we're seeing that there are states all around us that have already made that call. Mm -hmm. South Carolina, I think yesterday made the call that they will not return yes. to the brick and mortars uh, this year. And many other states have made that similar decision. Um, what I think teachers need to be planning for is going ahead and thinking about where the losses are going to be in learning. And uh, though, you know, you need to have a group of people in your school committed to uh, um, assessing where the gaps are and how you'll use time when we do return to school to make up for that. That, that would be my best advice right now. Okay, thank yep. you. I appreciate you looking into the future. Uh, Tom, you wanna to take it away? Yeah, so, so I think that's a good uh, segue into what, what everybody should be thinking about, right? So everybody can see my screen. Katie, my screen, it says building a return to school committee. Yeah, yes, yes, it's good. Got words and other, uh, other colors. So we've invited um, uh, the insurance people and Steve Joyner Consulting and Acadia is still on here and if Lisa's able to add uh, some advice. But what we started to do, and I will drop this link into the chat box for those, only the people who are on this call, Katie, we're not sharing with anybody else. <laughs> on this call, but we've got we've got a ten point slide here that um, that we think you should immediately start to begin this process because here's here's the here's the uh, situation right um, you're either going to you know so the governor is either going to say it's safe to go back in your uh, building on May 18th right and business as usual uh, or uh, you can go back on May 18th but you're going to have to have two education plans one brick and mortar and one virtual, because you just might have some parents who say, I'm not coming. Uh, option three is we stay virtual through the rest of the year and you open brick and mortar on time uh, for your 1,025 hours or more, you know, depending on whether legislation makes a change to that. And, uh, or you have to prepare to open 2021 in remote learning without, with or without an extended calendar. One of these four options, and maybe there's other options there. So, so what we started to do is to is to help you think through who should be on this committee, and and you know throw a chat box, you know, like in a chat box. Maybe you already have started this work or started a committee, and who should actually be on it. Um, so you got staff and board, your principal, HR, operations, you know, anybody you can get who can help you, parent reps and critical friends. Like it's going to be important that we're constantly sharing. Um, and really getting the best boots on the ground information to be able to uh, drive this. And you want to establish a communication plan, a virtual, a consistent virtual meeting schedule and communication plan. Because, you know, basically you're creating a case study through adversity about, you know, you're, you're, you're learning for any other crisis moving forward down, down the road. So, um, so it's important that you know, everybody knows how often do we communicate, what, what information, you know, who delivers it and whom and who uh, reports to who. So uh, I'm going to touch a little bit on academics and then I'm going to ask our experts to um, give us their feedback here. But from a, from a standing, you know, you know academics, you got to focus on the big picture, right? So what's working right now? Like how are we assessing the effectiveness, appropriateness and sustainability of our, of our current online remote learning program, right? Because if you're not, 
if you're not tracking results, how do you know whether A, it's working and B, whether or know what, how you can improve it, right? So there's some questions here for you guys, uh, your teams to uh, start to think through. Um, and, then, and then to really establish some robust professional learning communities virtually uh, so that they are prepared to basically teach a year and a half academics next year, right? So maybe part of your plan might be the creation of an extended school year here, right? Or, um, or a preschool time, you know, at the end of the year. And that's, you know, was a question that was posed. Could we use uh, either COVID funds uh, or you may even have to tap into your reserve funds to be able to, to create an extended school year uh, on your own to serve your own community. Hey, Tom, could you go over those four options one more time that you had at the front of the slideshow? The four options? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. So just so people can really, you know, cement them in their minds. Yeah. Well, the governor at three o'clock is going to tell us what which one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's it's one of these four that I can't think of any other option that. Um, right. So you just have to get ahead of it no matter what. And maybe some of you already started to do that. Um, so, but either he's going to say business as usual, everybody May 18th, right? But even if he says business as usual, you may have some families who say, yeah, I'm not comfortable with coming back. I'm not comfortable with, you know, uh, putting my child. So, so you need to know, like, you know, and we'll, one of the other slides we talk about, like, what will safety look like at your school? How are you going to communicate to your families that your school is safe and being disinfected and you're practicing, you know, social distancing as best as possible in your, you know, in your square footage, right? So, so that's, you know, that's option one and two. Three is, you know, you, you're not going back in brick and mortar. You're just going to play school out f through the rest of this year. And some of you, your last day of school is the same week that the governor said you can come back now. So, you know, what are you doing? If there's only three to four more days of school, are you actually going to bring students back into your building? You know, during that time, uh, because the last thing you would want is another outbreak and someone to bring the virus home to their, you know, grandmother, grandfather, um, you know, or their families. And an option four is that this thing hasn't gone away and we need to prepare to open next year, just like we're ending this year in a fully remote learning environment. Is that hit it? Is there any other uh, questions on that? And I don't want to, you know, read this. This is no, no, that was. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we'll keep on building for you, um, and 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 keep on, you know, sending ideas to you. So if you have ideas, you know, throw them in the chat box or things that we're, you know, missing. Um, in there, I'm trying to keep keep track of the chat box too. So you you keep me on on track there. And then exceptional children wise, you know, we have our Wednesday three o'clock call and that's been pretty steady with the, you know, 20 to 30, you know, directors, this is what we posed to them yesterday was, you know, what, you know, how are you going to improve your remote learning practices? How are you going to serve compensatory services over this time when you have this opportunity? You know, how are you going to ensure, you know, testing, maybe there's some ways out there where there is some virtual online testing, you could find new school, school psychologists. So, so you need to start, you know, digging deep into how are we going to ensure uh, that we're meeting um, uh, FAPE to the best as we can, and also, um, you know, closing that gap, you know, again, looking at how are we going to teach a year and a half 
of years instruction in a, in a 10 to 11 month uh, cycle without burning out our teachers, right? And without burning out our kids. So I would love to bring, and I think Olivia is with us uh, from Steve Joyner Consulting. She, she put together, you know, five points here that she thinks you should be thinking through from technology. So Olivia, are you there? Yes, I'm here. All right, perfect. You've got the floor. Cool. Yeah. So kind of going into what you were saying, um, it really depends on probably what happens at three o'clock today um, and based on your options. But one thing you should go ahead and start thinking about making a plan for is those devices that you sent home with students how to get those back. Um, so, you know, if we're going with, you know, option one where we're coming back or you're staying through, what do you wanna do about the summer period? Um, are those students gonna keep the computers? Do you wanna to try to get them back into the building? Um, thinking about families that move over the summer, um, what are you gonna do about those? Um, definitely something you should start preparing for and go ahead and get your inventory updated once all those devices come back. Um, and then you should also go ahead and start making some budget plans for both this year and next year. Um, you should probably plan on at least a 10% replace fix budget of any devices that have gone home. Um, and that can be something you can push into next school year's budget, but that's something you're going to have to discuss with your board and see what they want to do. Um, making a budget plan to fill in gaps for technology that you've discovered while you've been out. Um, has this opened up? you know, plans that you need to redo your technology five-year plan um, to bump up to get closer to one-to-one -to -one devices? Um, are you seeing that you're going to need some more carts for next year? Any kind of, you know, technology needs like that? Um, and if we decide that we're going to have to go into distance learning again, is there something you should plan on purchasing to make that work better next year? Definitely something you should start thinking about now as opposed to you know, July when it's, you know, everyone is making that decision. Yeah, awesome, Olivia. And then, you know, also, you know, really assessing like what's, what's working, right? Because there is some concern that, you know, this could be seasonal, it could come back, right? So, so, mm -hmm. you know, really be uh, thinking about, you know, budgetary wise and, and relying on experts, whether it's Steve Joyner Consulting or, or another group, like what's the best, you know, devices to buy? Like what best fits our education plan? I was reading an article recently, you know, specifically about, look, a Chromebook doesn't replace a paper and, and, and a pencil, right? It's just another tool. So right. what training around devices and better remote uh, teaching do you also need to provide um, as part of your budgetary piece? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Um, I see Jim Duffy had a question about repair fixes. Um, I believe that the PRC 154, if I understand that correctly, um, if it is going towards distance learning technology, so if it's a device that needs to be fixed for your student to have that distance learning provided, you can use those funds for that. But I think it's specific to if it's providing that distance learning function. Yeah, excellent. We can get some verification on, on those. Yeah, I don't know what about when it comes back broken, because I think you have a time limit on the funds when you can spend that money. Um, yeah, and it probably comes under your own warranty, right? Your own like wear and tear uh, warranty. Probably, yeah. Perfect. All right, well, thanks, Olivia. You hang in there. We're going to uh, go to the next. So now we've got the insurance people. So we've got Hadley and Steve from the insurance people. Hadley, 
you uh, put together a couple points for you know folks to be thinking about. Uh, let us know that you're there, and and uh, can you walk us through it? Sure thing. Yeah. Thank you, Tom and Katie, for having us today. Um, so hey there, Steve. <laughs> We're social distancing the father daughter team. <laughs> I see. <laughs> good. Good. Love it. Good modeling. <laughs> Great to see familiar faces. So real quickly, we'll just go through a couple of things to think about um, maximizing your employee benefits program um, as you're thinking through how you can provide um, counseling and things like that for your staff during this time. EAP programs are often included for free on life insurance plans. Um, so you might already have this. And if you do, you want to make sure your teachers know about it and are properly utilizing it. Um, we're also encouraging schools, if you have telemedicine, um, to encourage your employees to keep using that. Many doctor's offices are sending out their information on telemedicine that they've propped up. Um, and in additional to the health insurance carriers, Blue Cross Blue Shield and United, they all have telemedicine right now. Um, and then the last thing that we're, we're really hoping schools are thinking through, if you have an online benefits platform, um, you can really educate your employees that way on how to get the most out of their benefits. Um, keep it simple for their HR staff to administer them, add new employees, um, make any necessary changes. You can all do that remotely from home and don't have to go into the office to do paperwork. Um, so these are all remote things to um, take care of your teachers and staff while y'all are working remotely. Um, and to encourage, you know, your teachers and staff to not do in-person visits um, and stay as healthy as possible. Um, and then our insurance companies, we discussed with them and our risk managers yesterday, some questions to consider as you guys are considering opening. Um, you know, these questions I think are probably all top of my top of mind already, but um, you know, thinking about your PPE policy, who's providing it, who's visiting the school, um, plans to alert your staff members when someone is infected. Um, I think we're thinking the governor is gonna provide a lot of guidance on this as well and hopefully provide the PPE necessary to the schools. Um, but those are things to be looking for. And then lastly, a lot of insurance carriers have um, online trainings and new resources that are available um, for your teachers and staff as they're remote. Um, and then they have a lot of sample policies and procedures. So. Um, if there's any of these that you, you know, I, I know a lot of our clients are on here. If you want to talk with us about any of these, just please contact us and let us know. Um, and, and just let us know if you have any, any questions on this. Okay. Anything you want to add? Uh, we've also, Katie, found for uh, credit since uh, buses aren't moving right now, mm -hmm. and that's been approved, and we're going to be contacting all our school clients letting them know they're going to get a reduction in their premium costs. So put a little money back in the school budget. They like it going that direction. Yeah. Uh, uh, so can you all share if our safe schools training, is, is that online? Do you have a link that you could share for folks? If yes, we'll put that in there. Uh, okay. We'll that in. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, and they do have a, a topic, a video on COVID-19. Perfect. So, uh, 
Other thing is we're doing assessments right now for cyber. Uh, and a, uh, the consultant was just talking about cyber. We do have an assessment we provide as a free tool to our schools to uh, have their IT firm assess the school's cyber program. And so that's a, a, a tool that we offer at no cost. And we can provide that for uh, Rhonda's members as well. What policies and procedures are you recommending that folks review and potentially add to their, you know, to their policy manuals? Oh, good question. Um, their employee handbooks, um, as you create policies for um, taking temperatures and who's a visitor, um, processes for that, I, that probably needs to end up in an employee handbook. Um, but Lisa will definitely know more about that too. Yeah, and I was just going to go to Lisa next. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, you know, listen, everybody on the call, look, don't try to tackle this in a silo. I'm telling you right now, this is much larger, right? Nothing gets achieved alone. You got to start rallying your people. I know they're busy, but to make the best and to open school the best possible, no matter what, like make the ordinary extraordinary, you're going to need a team of folks to be able to help you here. So trust in your people. So Lisa, why don't you give us your points and I'll add them uh, to the PowerPoint um, after we're finished. Thank you, Stephen Hadley. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Tom, that was a, Tom and Hadley. That was a great segue. So the first thing I would say, and we're learning every single day. So I've I probably got five emails in the last today alone for webinars on what are best practices to open your workplace. Um, and um, so I, I'm learning every day, but um, and we'll continue to the. The first thing to think of to do is to have what they're calling is a chief COVID officer or chief COVID officer committee of who are a group of people who are going to be responsible for your workplace safety, um, which would which means you need to be have those folks keeping up with what the CDC guidance is, what the OSHA guidance is, um, what the governor's saying. There is just so much that we're all keeping up with having a group of people that you can depend on to be able to come together and, um, and, and work on problem solving this, um, because it is gonna change, but you've gotta have protocols for cleaning, for, um, for what you're gonna do if you have a positive test situation and, um, and what the workspace is gonna like, look like. Are there things you can do to modify your workspace? Um, it's very difficult at a school, particularly schools don't have a lot of extra space, um, unlike many other workplaces. But having a group of people who can keep up with the ongoing um, regulations that are going to continue to come out um, over the coming months or year is important. Um, uh, Hadley and, uh, um, brought up the idea of screening employees. You are going to need to consider what steps you should take to screen employees. Um, and we're going to have, to, and part of that is going to be finding out what the parameters of that is. So having a policy that doesn't violate the Americans with Disabilities Act or any anti-discrimination laws or guidance from the governor or state officials. Um, are we gonna be you know, looking at people wearing masks? Um, we don't know, but you're gonna have to have consistent ways that you deal with these issues. Um, and then one of the other things that we're gonna need to keep th think about and um, looking at your employee handbooks is, how are you gonna handle leave for employees? Because one of the things that um, has been addressed uh, before, but 
um, is going to continue through the end of the year is the Family and Medical Leave Act. And that is for folks who um, will, um, I'm sorry, I just got a, a text that popped in that distracted me for a second, um, that folks will need to um, look at how they're going to accommodate people who have kids that they can't come to work for. Because if even if your school is open, if you have a, a, a teacher, um, that may be different. And you have you there's still the Family and Medical Leave Act that you're going to have to comply with. Again, that's even if you are not dealing with, um, even if you don't typically have F FMLA. Um, there's also the Emergency Paid Stick Leave Act that runs through the end of 2020. Um, and you may have employees who may, none of those situations apply, but they may have difficulty coming to work because they have family situations where they have folks at high risk. So there are lots of things that you're gonna have to think about. There's student issues, but there's also a lot of staffing issues um, that we are going to learn about um, and have to keep up with. So um, I will certainly be writing things up as they come out. The association will push things out. Um, I push things out for my clients as well. Um, but you know, we'll do our best to keep on top of what you're gonna need to do and um, you know, the most important thing is just continue keeping it on your radar, thinking about what's right and doing the best you can under the circumstances. Um, and these are extraordinary circumstances. I've got to run to a DOE call on the CARES Act, um, but I'll take any questions. Um, if folks have them after, shoot them over to me. Thanks, Lisa. Appreciate Thank you, Lisa. It. Hey, Katie, is the screen still showing? I got a message that the screen was black. Is it okay? Yeah, I see it just fine. Okay, great. Um, hopefully, yeah, if anybody have any technical issues. So just a couple more categories that was pretty much hit by Lisa, organizational health and wellness, right? So this is taking care of your people and your community. So reaching out to your local health department, how can they help you? You know, what are some ways that they can help educate your staff, work with your staff, uh, you know, work with your community? What resources are they providing? Um, my wife used to work for the Brunswick County Health department and we love them as a partner because it was so easy you know they would come in and do all sorts of things uh, for us so if you haven't reached out to your local uh, community groups you know do that help your help your teachers work from home and stay healthy and be taking care of themselves and don't overwhelm them with emails and messages right keep it really simple as simple as possible and that's what this academic or that's what this committee can do is identify what's working let's only do more of that and let's eliminate all of the fluff right you can calendar some town hall ongoing you know virtual meetings you know establish a coffee with the principal whatever it is to stay in contact with your people but limit limit your contact with human beings in you know terms of you know, one-on-one -on -one until, you know, we have some uh, safety around. The uh, mastermind that we run, the Inner Circle Mastermind, had a great idea about doing a tour of your building, like, you know, right now and, you know, showing maybe how, how you're hand-washing, like you've upgraded your hand-washing or your sanitizers or you've put new water fountains in, you know, whatever it is, and just say the only thing missing is you, right? I think that was the message that they had said, which was a great idea, right? Almost like an HDTV you know, movement and then looking at your um, uh, policies for sure. Focusing on student. Yeah, I'm going to shout out to uh, I'm going to shout out to Kelly Riley on that one. That was her idea to do. The only thing missing is you. So join her movement and do a video. 
Yeah, we can't wait to see it this week, Kelly, when, uh, when uh, we get in our mastermind group. Um, student enrollment now and next year, right? So really engaging your uh, parents for next year. Um, you know, there's a lot of research and there's a lot of articles out there just saying that not a lot of parents are happy right now you know, with their school, make sure you're not one of those, right? You want to make sure that, that you are doing what your, what your community needs. And that doesn't mean piling on more work. It just means being whatever your community needs you to be. If it's a food provider, be a food provider. If it's an academic, you know, place, you know, be that. If it's a resource, if it's, you know, one of the things that I thought about, you know, Katie, you know, you know, we've got a six, a sixth grader and a first grader. And so, my wife was actually asking the teacher, like, hey, can you teach this to me so I can be better for him, right? So what are you doing to better support the family so the, so the parents don't have anxiety over leading their uh, children through? So these were just a couple more ideas, you know, nothing major, stuff that you can read through. and We'll keep on building um, it for you. And I dropped this into the Google Drive uh, where all of our resources are in. It's in the folder specifically called... Um, uh, return to school committee and I'll make sure I put the link in at the bottom of this uh, but I want to come back into finances with Acadia as we're running out of time here if they're still with us you know they've already talked about state funding that needs to be spent you know before June 30th be mindful of your cash flow uh, get really clear on what monies can be spent and what can't be spent I think there was I heard Alexis Shaw say today that they have applied for extension for some of the federal um, you know, monies, you know, and the grants that are out there. And then there's talk about this school safety grants, right? So really keep in tune to your financial experts about, you know, what can I code where? And I'll let Acadia come in if they have anything to add on top of this um, as, you're, as you're preparing to return to school, whether it's in 20, what, seven days, 25 days, or, you know, 90 days from now. I'm not sure if anybody's still with us. Oh, there you go. Um, the one thing I wanted everyone to keep in mind, let's say you are going back to school, you know, May 18th. Um, we're also approaching the end of the fiscal year. And if you're going to be spending money, you know, on items or services, just keep in mind any items or services um, received in fiscal year 20, even if you pay for it in July or after, because you're being billed late or, or what have you, is still gonna count and be booked as a fiscal year 20 expense, which means that it'll hit this year's budget. Um, in the same vein, if you're pre-ordering or pre-buying stuff for next school year, and you're trying to do that before June 30th, it's gonna be a prepaid expense and it's gonna go, to, go towards your 2021 budget. Um, so keep that in, in mind as well when you're trying to figure out how, how best to spend your funds um, we actually have some schools who have excess, fund, excess funds that they're trying to spend right now. So they're looking for ways to spend that money so they don't lose it come June 30th. So all, all of these are things to, to kind of keep in mind. Federal funds will carry over into next fiscal year. So if you find that your school is kind of heavy on state funds right now, you know, please go ahead and make sure you get those funds spent by June 30th and leave the federal to carry over for uh, next fiscal year. Yeah, thanks, Amanda. I mean, there's just, there's a lot, right? And there's a lot to keep in your head. So again, I'm gonna say this again, don't do it alone. Don't try to do this in a silo. Don't try to organize this entire return to school committee 
You've got you know, people in your organization, whether they're uh, parents, board members, strategic partners that are here to help you and serve you and help you think better and help you execute better because nothing's gonna be more important than that first day returning, right? Nothing's more important to a, a parent than their child's well-being and safety. And you've gotta be thinking through those as we get to this next step. So I appreciate Acadia being with us and Lisa and uh, Hadley and Steve uh, and Olivia from, from the um, Steve Joiners Consulting Group. So the last one is just this long-term leadership in that direction. And this was from the other document that that I had added before, but I want to get to this last point, right? So what are your fears right now? Like what's keeping you up at night, right? What's keeping you up at night? And, and so let's just say that from a horrible standpoint, your school loses 25% of its population or staff and, and you know, you just, you just paint the worst picture. And I've heard a couple of leaders say, well, I'm afraid that if we close down school, but the district doesn't, we're going to lose kids. Okay, that's a, that's, a, that's a good, tangible thought. So how do you create a chronological timeline of those events? Like, how could you possibly avoid it from happening completely or slowing it down? And that is the purpose. Like, your time needs to be focused on thinking and strategy. And you need to be able to leverage and mobilize your team to be able to address all these other aspects. Because what you need to start doing is you need to start mapping out your worst nightmare just, you know, backwards. And that way, it's just a fear and it's just a thought. And now I have a design strategy to be able to get there. So I know, Katie, some folks put their, you know, what's keeping them up at night in the chat box, you know, Add that in there. Like if you haven't put like, what is your, you know, say it out loud. We had a couple of people this week say, God, it feels so good to just say that out loud because you're not <laughs> alone. There's a lot of people who are thinking the same, you know, concerns and have, and have the same issues. All right. So, so use, so utilize each other to be able uh, to, to, you know, get to a better result. Um, and so we, you know, over the last couple of days, we've been, you know, building on that. Um, so it's for you to use to begin to to really, you know, start to execute, right? You need to start executing, you start moving forward. And the best way, right, to to get to get clarity is to actually take action, right? Don't keep thinking about it, because if thinking doesn't create clarity, action creates clarity. And the more that you start moving to action is when you'll start seeing the picture, it'll be clearer for you. And, um, but, you know, start with that end in mind, you know, what do you want the first day of school to look like, whether it's May 18th uh, or, you know, August 18th, you know, whatever it is, you got to start painting that picture now and how's it going to be different, right? Because the new norm is different. Um, so, um, and I love Joan, Joan just dropped hers in here. You know, what's keeping me up is a clear plan ensuring safety in the building whenever we return, right? How do we for health or sickness. I love it. So you put that up and say, this is our number one issue, everybody. How do we start to create a backwards uh, design to make sure that no one is worried about this and we can communicate it with 100% clarity to our families that this is a safe place. Yeah. Keeping up with all the changes that are occurring. Absolutely, right? So, so, you, so you stay within three things, your values, <laughs> your mission, and your responsibility, right? What are those in that order? Values first, mission second, and responsibility third. And you just, you know, if you make every decision within those three, and if you get caught with something, you get caught with something. Just say, oh, I didn't know, right? And, and everybody's, you know, bad on those same 
those same issues. So, uh, Katie, that's all I had. I know it was a lot of information in a very, very short time. And I think we'll be, you know, we'll be continuing to work, you know, through that. And then I'll add in, there's a strategic outline, you know, template. Some of you have used it with us before. Um, just an easy way for your committees to sit down and, and you know, don't, don't make this hard. You know, keep it simple. Reach out to your people. Uh, who, you know, who wants to be part of this, um, you know, return to school uh, committee and here's your, here's my vision for it and start, you know, week by week. And um, also, you know, we've got an inner circle where we've got uh, two groups on, you know, Mondays who meet in a smaller setting and they're talking through like, what's it going to look like? And they're getting like direct feedback from, you know, people who are in the same situation. So look for resources that are out there. We we're, you know, doing free trainings every week to help you with hiring and running meetings and building capacity and strategic planning. I'm sure Acadia is doing stuff and insurance people just say, we're doing risk accepts. You know, I mean, Lisa goes, everybody here is to help you, right? Rhonda's out there working the legislation, you know, miles as much as she can. So don't just sit there and think um, you've got to, you got to act, you got to act. So Katie, I'm going to give you the floor back. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to, um, that was a great way to let Mark Tracy put it on on here and I think you're not alone Mark you know he said my biggest concern is keeping up with all the changes that are occurring it is difficult to know for sure you have all the various issues under control I don't think you're alone I think everybody's feeling like the rug is being pulled out from under them every day and so I think the best thing you can do is is get the best information you have and act on it in goodwill and that's what Lisa was saying and that's coming from an attorney Right. <laughs> you know, that's all we can do at this time when things are changing, you know, so frequently. Uh, you know, Tom, we did have a question that came in. Could you remind us which folder this your presentation that you shared today? Uh, where can they find it within our drive? Oh, unmute yourself, please. If you say so, not a lot of people ask me to unmute myself. That's, you know, kind of hard, right? <laughs> Uh, I like it, Tom. <laughs> in the folder called "Build a Returning," build a return to school committee. But you know okay, what? Perfect. Yeah, you know what? I need to move because it's in our it's in our other uh, private drive. So I will I will add it in there. Thanks for whoever pointed that out because it's in a different drive. So give me thirty seconds and you'll all have it. Okay. So you know, remember to keep the first things first, everybody. You know. Remember, what's valuable to your organization? Well, be organized. You know, make sure you have access to what you, know, you need and, and maintain your responsibilities. You know, stay true to your kids, to your parents, to your stakeholders, and that's, that's what you can do. I was just thinking, you know, I, I submitted a, um, or I, I was working with a school on this big 21st century grant talk about convoluted right you all know the ccip system you all deal in that system all the time i'm a newbie kind of how covid19 feels right now is that we're we're maneuvering through this big ccip system uh, but i don't know if we're ever going to make sense of it like right now i feel like i know the ccip system and i could enter like 10 more grants uh, but i don't know if we're ever going to feel like that during covid19 so uh, maybe we shouldn't have that expectation you know, maybe the expectation is I'm going to serve my, my stakeholders the best way I can every single day and, and form a team to support me. But Tom and I and Rhonda, I know uh, they joined me in saying thank you for being with us. 
and for participating in this call and, and being vulnerable and transparent because that's how we're all going to get through it. Uh, so, you know, if you reach out to Tom or I, we're happy to help, you know, whether you need a thought partner, you know, we're, we're happy to do that for you. Um, and I know Rhonda's there to advocate for you and, and get in front of legislators. I think she enjoys doing it. So, um, yeah, Rhonda, any, any last words? Okay, I just wanted to make sure I was unmuted. Um, last words, if you're feeling overwhelmed, you're in, you know, you're in good company. <laughs> I have a lot of stuff that I'm trying to keep up with too, and I'm gonna try to just distill it down for you the best I can in my daily emails. But if I'm missing something that you need to know about, let me know, uh, I'll be glad to help you. That's what I get paid to do and I love doing it. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week on you know, Thursday at one o'clock, our regular time. If you haven't joined our EC conversations on Wednesday, you'll know, consider joining us. And if you need a link to that, just reach out to Tom or I and we can get that out there for you. It's another place to have a good discussion about that caring for your exceptional children. Tom, any final words? Now I'm just going to unmute everybody so everybody can say bye. Thanks. Thanks for All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank, thank you. Bye. 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 B